With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. I'm your host for the next hour, Eric Allen. And uh, our panel for today is John Zukowski, Sheldon Clare, James Steidel, and we'll have uh, Bill Phillips on the phone also. Uh, we're gonna, what we're going to discuss first is the regional district changes the policy on public notices. Now, basically, doing what the city of Prince George has already decided they're going to do. And uh, we're going to get into that in some detail. We're going to start off with John, and then uh, we'll go to Bill Phillips, and uh, he'll give his uh, view. Bill's the uh, owner of the PG Daily News, so he's actually being impacted by this type of legislation. So anyway, uh, John, go ahead and give us the overview on this. Well, as you uh, as you capped it, Eric, the uh, the regional district Fraser Fort George wants to follow in the steps of the city with removing its requirement for posting public notices in the uh, the local papers. Uh, in the interest of using its communications department to uh, to do that via social media, uh, the city's website, and uh, other. Uh, means of communication with the public short of posting it in the newspaper um, it's it's a bad move in my opinion uh, we have a provincial requirement for public notices where they must be listed at least two weeks in advance uh, in a local newspaper um, now there has been a shift in the local media but we still have a local paper which is accessible, readily accessible, and easily searchable by anybody. Uh, it's the newspapers have been the uh, the keeper of public records since well since the first newspaper was pressed. So at any time you could go to a public library or even to the paper itself and pull up back issues and see the story as it was written at that time and posted publicly. Now with the shift. Uh, the city thinking they're going to save a hundred and some odd thousand dollars in ad revenues. They're going to take and do this internally via their own uh, communications staff. Now, our communications department had two people. We've bumped up to four, now coming up to five. And the increased cost has gone from, I don't know what we were paying for staffing before, but we're now up in that, in about a half million dollars or more for the communications department for the city. So I don't see where it's been cost effective. Uh, the other problem is somebody hasn't sat down and done the demographics as to who we have in Prince George, who has cell phones or digital devices or access to Internet. Uh, that that little bit of research, I guess, is, is beyond somebody there to turn around and look at the Stats Canada demographics to see exactly what kind of reach the city has um, the, those stats are readily available but they don't want to check and see so uh, let's go on this social media bandwagon uh, you know we'll post the stuff online uh, it can be edited and changed at any time unlike with the newspaper once it's printed it's printed so if there's an error there it stands in memorial um, so there's problems with it the other thing is this uh statement by one of the councillors that uh, we shouldn't be supporting local publications and, and local press. Uh, 
geez, that's a little anti-community in my opinion. When you're turning around and saying, well, you know, maybe I should shop online as opposed to going down to the stores locally and purchasing. I'm going to turn around and shop online. It's 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 better for me. I don't have to leave my home. Uh, I, I got problems with this this whole waste of money, and it seems to be stoking the furnace at City Hall with more cash to burn. And that's a problem. Um, a lot of folks don't have access to electronic media. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of seniors that enjoy going and grabbing the paper and having a flip through and seeing. And this requirement for public notices is very crucial. And I think the city jumped on making this move way too soon. So that's that's my standpoint. I, I'm not a big fan of it. And I really do think the regional district needs to be unique uh, and start running the regional district under their own guidance, not taking ideas taken from the city. Though we have four directors in the regional district that are from the city, the regional district needs to be unique. I, I don't think they need to be ha- hopping on the same uh, same bus as the city every time something is thought of. So that's my take. There, Bill? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, you? Well, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, I, I, I agree. This is this isn't. Uh, it doesn't serve the the residents of, of Prince George any better. Um, you know. If you've ever tried to find something on Facebook was there that you saw posted three days ago, good luck. And uh, and and city legal notices would be the same thing, right? You, Facebook isn't really searchable like a like a, a website is, or or even a newspaper. So you spend a lot of time, and it's there and it's gone. Uh, so so you're not being served. Um, you know, and the other thing we talk about for what's near and dear to me is the is the end of uh, of community newspapers. Um, I, I tried to do a quick look to see how much the regional district spent with the citizen. Uh, I couldn't quite find it, but uh, um, the city last year spent uh, two hundred and seven thousand dollars with the Prince George citizen. I don't imagine the regional district was it was near that, uh, but it'd probably be you know it's a substantial amount of money. So. Uh, I'm a little shocked, like uh, John was saying, that, that councillors saying we shouldn't be supporting local media. Uh, you know, uh, this is an area where where uh, local government can support local businesses. Uh, you know, don't think of it as a media; think of it as a local business. And uh, you go through the list of, of of businesses that cities support, and uh, you know they pay for services, and, and this should be another one. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's just uh, I, I feel for the folks of the citizen like they're su- they're suffering, you know, uh, and this will be another blow to them. Uh, the other the other part that for me is if they're if if municipalities want to get away from um, advertising uh, or putting local notices in the local newspaper, then it should be should go to another uh, another. Um, Group or agency should have an have an opportunity to to provide that service. Um, you know, when I was with the Prince George Free Press, we convinced the, the mayor at the time, Dan Rogers, that this that legal notices should be put out to tender, and uh, and then we lobbied and we tendered, and 
we took the business away from the citizen, we were successful, and we got the, le- the legal notice advertising. So I'm thinking that, at the very least, local businesses of some sort, probably media, should still be allowed to do some of this stuff, and they should bid on it. Uh, the city has just simply decided to give this to Facebook, um, probably because it's free. They can just put a notice on their own Facebook site. And once again, it all comes down to to serving the residents of the community, and and uh, this uh, doesn't increase the service to the to the community. It actually decreases. I have no problem with them putting legals on Facebook, but it should be available in other spots as well, which are as easily, uh, you know, like the newspaper and that sort of thing. They'll email it to you, but it doesn't matter what it is. <clears throat> I mean, we've got certain ways of doing things, and, and in my opinion, uh, we should have good reason for changing it. I, you know, I, I see, uh, you know, a communist behind every tree, so <laughs> that hasn't changed much since I was younger, and there's something going on. Anytime the city's doing something or somebody's changing something, it's usually the reason we're getting is not the reason why they're doing it. They have other reasons. And uh, not the least of which is to confuse us or to put information in a situation where it's hard to for us to get to it. And so we throw up our hands in frustration and say, yeah, I'm not going to bother with that. It's too much trouble. And part of trying to find things on the city website is exactly that. Go ahead, uh, Sheldon. Well, I, yeah, I, I think there's some significant problems here with limiting access to people. And I, Bill and John have both highlighted on that. It also is a great damage to researchers, as, as was also mentioned. But I also think there's another factor at play here, too. And the media, as it's, as it's known as the fifth estate, is to serve as a, an opposition or a promoter of things that are going on in its community. And when government is doing something that bears criticism, that appears in the, in the press, in the media. And... Sometimes governments don't like negative press. In fact, they rarely like negative press. And I think when you start to see decisions being taken like this, it's punitive. And it's a reaction to uh, negative press over a period of time or specific uh, actions taken by uh, editors in, in their role of revealing what's going on with local and uh, provincial and federal government. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, newspapers, I always go back to the story I read where the Chinese would walk 100 miles just to find a piece of newspaper nailed to a fence and they all stand around and read it. That's how important it was and how hard it was to get information in that country at that time. And anybody tampering with the news or the, or the easy availability of news is playing into the hands of those people that don't want you to know what's going on. And I'll tell you, there's lots of things going on in BC and in, in this town that nobody knows anything about. And we should be having, like Skaken said here a while ago, an inquiry into everything that's going on at City Hall instead of finding new ways of hiding information from people. And what's wrong with spending a few dollars? I never heard him say they're going to take that 250000 bucks and give it back to the taxpayers. <laughs> Did you hear that? Many times? Oh, okay. oh, no, it's not going back to the taxpayers. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hire some more uh, professional uh, white collars there at City Hall, like John said. We're up to, what, five... Five people in the communications department. You know that that uh, that right there could be a, a small newspaper 
outside of City Hall, keeping City Hall accountable. And to the contrary, they're going to be uh, sitting there with our money, covering up their own inefficiencies, their own inadequacies, uh, their own failures. Okay, and that, that's uh, like we have to step back here and remember that uh, you know Western civilization or everything that we've kind of come up with as far as uh, open, accountable, and fair democratic governance. You know, it's not that old of a concept in human history. Uh, you know, a couple thousand years old or whatever, but it hangs by a thread. And it is easy to take this away from us and move to a type of system that is more despotic, that does not have accountability, that does not have open and fair, transparent information, where people in positions of power can abuse public power for their own personal gain. And this is why you got to have a local press. This is this is part of the social contract uh, that we all abide by. And I, I think it's shocking. I think I have more to say about this, but I think... Uh, We'll get into it later. Uh, Bill, do you want to just maybe finish off your thoughts on this so we won't keep you on the line? But we'll bring it up again at a later date uh, and maybe do a full show on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just one more comment, because one of the things that, that strikes me about public notices is um, when you, when you want to find them on Facebook or you want to find them on a public website, you have to know they're there. Uh, that's one of the the beauties, I guess, of having them published in the newspaper, is that you know they're go- that you know that's where they are, so they're easy to find. But on the other hand, you might be looking through the newspaper and go to the legal section and see a notice of a rezoning or something that you didn't know was happening. So, uh, so that's your point of contact. Then you can you can use that to to go and get further information or find out what's going on. But when these things are posted online, unless you're specifically looking for something or looking for something specific, you, you have no idea that they're happening. So once again, it comes down to, you know, the, the community just isn't served. And like everybody else has said here, there, there's so much going on and the community just isn't aware of it because these notices are not being made public. Yeah. Uh, posting them on Facebook or, or hiding them in your website, go on the city website, try to find these things. They're not easy to find. Hello, I'm Carlos Núñez, the Galician Piper. We're the Ducks. Hey, this is Tim Brennan with the Dropkick Murphys. Hey, this is Dave King from Flag and Molly. Sean Smith from Lunasa. Karen Casey here. This is Ian Byrne from the Elders. Join me, Patricia Fraser, for the best Celtic music mix. Celt in a Twist. Canada's Contemporary Celtic Radio Hour. Kelton a Twist with your host, Patricia Fraser, Tuesday nights at 8, following the Coffee House with Eric Bennett here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you're totally out of shape, Trainer Kim's has a new fitness class just for you. Created for anyone new or returning to fitness after an extended period, Fitness 101 features slow-paced workouts allowing for proper instruction and form. Breaks are given for recovery, and all exercises can be modified to meet every ability. If you are ready to take this first step towards a stronger, healthier body, contact Trainer Kim today by emailing trainer underscore Kim at hotmail.com. Some ideas spread slowly. That doesn't make them bad ideas. We are infatuated with ideas that spread effortlessly, that go viral in minutes. But that's not the way a slow solution spreads. What we are advocating on this program, week after week, is like that. It's a slow solution. Dr. Michael Ziegler shares God's slow solution to setting a broken world right this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sunday mornings at 8 
here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with local smoke and a 70% chance of showers. A risk of thunderstorms and hail this afternoon with wind becoming south 20K, a high of 22. Tonight cloudy with a 70% chance of showers. A south wind becoming light near midnight and a low of 10. For Tuesday, cloudy with a 30% chance of showers. Wind becoming southwest 20, gusting to 50 late in the morning and a high of 15. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to kick this uh, topic around a little bit more because uh, it is important, and, and, you know, we're paying for this stuff. The city always sort of gives the impression that they're paying for it, but uh, they're not. We are, and we're paying for their salaries, too, and we're asking them to do a stellar job for the amount of money we're paying them, and quite often we're not getting that. And I don't want to be seen to be criticizing them all the time. They do do some good things, but... uh, they have a responsibility to do what's right for the taxpayers and try to save us money, not spend it all the time. I could I could talk for five hours just pointing out different things that the city's done that cost us millions and millions of dollars. And it's incredible how much money is just lost in the sun. <laughs> lost in the sandstorm. <laughs> so who, who wants to comment on this? James? Yeah, I, I just wanted to point out uh, in that uh, article that we're talking about today here, and that was in the Prince George Citizen, I think, on Friday, about the regional district notices. Uh, Councillor Kyle Sampson there, he, he made a point there, uh, quoted there, it's not our job to fund local journalism, he says. And, you know, I, I just want to, and I know we've kind of touched on this already, but I, I think that's a really important question for the city and the public to ask ourselves if we agree with that statement. Um, personally, I disagree with it. I think uh, we, uh, as a public, we have a, a responsibility to maintain local coverage of local politics and local issues. And, and I wrote a column about this in a citizen a, a month ago or so. You know, and I looked at some various studies that uh, were done on what happens to small communities when they lose their local paper, and bad things happen, guys. Your taxes go up, your borrowing costs go up. And I think it goes without saying that there's more uh, likelihood for things like corruption to happen. So, you know, it is our responsibility to make sure we have local journalism. It's in all of our, it's the public interest to make sure that we have that. And what is the purpose of government uh, if not to look out for the public interest? And just as a side note, you know, I I think it's a bit hypocritical for Councillor Sampson to say it's not our job to to fund local journalism. Meanwhile, he's out there uh, getting grants from the government for $157,000 of taxpayer money for his best damn music festival. So, you know, is that uh, is that our job to fund Kyle Sampson's uh, music festivals? That's that's the question I I'd like to ask uh, for the city and and for Kyle himself. Well, I think the uh, city's going to have uh, open meetings on this and uh, you know, the public will be able to go and I'm sure the councilors will be there and we'll be able to ask them those questions in public and they'll give an opportunity to answer them so um, I think we pretty well beat this better not say that say I'm against <laughs> animals <laughs> so we're going to go to uh, Canada Child Benefits and uh, the increase in it and how Trudeau and all his 
cronies are patting each other on the back with a wonderful, wonderful job they're doing for Canadians. And we're going to start off with Sheldon, who knows all about this issue. Well, it's an interesting transition to talk, go about media and how it gets used by government and not used by government. And yet, you see these pieces come out when a government is dropping in popularity that try to puff it up and show that this is the wonderful thing we're doing. So they've obviously put this out as a a, a puff piece to the media, which they extensively fund, unlike our city council, which is dropping funding of, of media. And this this is about the child, uh, the Canada Child Benefit. And it's probably worthwhile to just look at a little bit of a history of this so we can understand w- where it comes from and why we have it, and the good and, and the not-so-good things about it. Now, Really, this originates from the post-war consensus over the welfare state, which develops out of the 1940s and goes through right into the the 1970s. You had what was called family allowance, and this was in place for decades. Now, this turned into a uh, refundable tax credit in the 1970s, and the cash transfer ended in the 1990s and became both refundable and non-refundable tax credit. And then the Canada Child Tax Benefit, or CCTB, came in in the late 90s. Now, this came with an income test. It was a basic non-refundable tax credit. And concurrently, the National Child Benefit Supplement, or NCBS, was put in to target low-income families. Now, when the Conservatives were elected in 2006, uh, they brought in the, the universal child care benefit. Now, this was a taxable benefit. I think it was 100 bucks a month per child under six, and this was regardless of family income. It was increased in 2015 to 160 bucks, and chi- uh, children who were 17 and under, down to six, were added at 60 bucks a month. Now, in 2016, the Liberals did something that probably makes some sense. They combined all of those child uh, benefit programs into the, can- can- the Canada Child Benefit, which we now have. Now, this was touted as a very generous, tax-free monthly uh, per-child benefit. It was adjusted to inflation, and it was nearly $7,000 maximum for children under six and less, and for, it was about a little bit under 6000 uh, a year for children aged 6 to 17. Now, this really simplified the benefit. And if you're going to look at government doing things, simplifying is usually not a bad idea. Now, one of the things this also did is phased out payments as household incomes got above $30,000 a year. Now, we've got a lot of inflation going on, and that's changing as well. But in effect, as of about about 2019... The, the benefit was $24 billion going to about 3.7 million families in Canada. Now, some of the positives about that is that it did benefit single-parent families. They often received the larger benefits. It was touted as having reduced child poverty from as much as 11% down to 9%. And I don't think anyone can argue that that's, that's a, a bad thing to be working on child poverty. Another thing that it's been argued it did was increase consumption rates by allowing people to spend a bit of money, and it gave people flexibility in choosing their options for childcare. As you know, the Liberals came into into power with this promise of the universal daycare, but they have found that Canadians don't seem to really want universal daycare. They prefer to choose their own options. And in effect, this particular benefit has allowed some families to do that. 
So with the fact of the matter being that universal daycare is not likely to happen because we've got, you know, that deficit spending of over 20, uh, $20 billion annually and it, presently an over $1.5 trillion debt, which often gets overlooked, it's probably not going to happen, especially with childcare really being a provincial issue. Now, problems that come up with this are, first of all, it discourages participation in the labor force because it, it penalizes increased income. It also taxes uh, go up concurrently with that increased income. And so, in effect, the CCB can really be seen as a hidden tax. So as that income goes up, you're, getting, you're going to be paying more and you get that benefit less. It also is, in effect, a disincentive towards uh, building a family structure through marriage or family, familial partnership uh, because this is based on a household basis, not an individual parent basis. So when we're looking at public policy through taxation, which is what this is, you find that it can help solve one problem, and yet it can cause others. And it's pretty important for uh, voters, political parties, and governments to be well aware of the, the good effects that it, the policy has, along with the negative effects. Okay, thanks, Sheldon. We'll take a break. The Exploration Place is home to a new exhibit, World War Women, on through September 3rd. Developed by the Canadian War Museum, this special exhibition highlights the contributions of Canadian women in both world wars. Divided into four thematic zones, World War Women uses artifacts, images, audiovisuals, and archival materials to delve in the personal stories of Canadian women during World War I and II. World War Women, on through September 3rd at the Exploration Place, making history together. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Hungry? Looking for something good to eat? Well, pop on by Boston Pizza and try their new feature menu where jalapeno popper dip is back by popular demand, along with the many tasty new items. As always, Boston Pizza offers medium and large pizzas. Buy one, get one, 50% off for takeout or delivery. And don't forget their happy hour runs in-store from 3 to 6 and 9 to closing daily. Give Boston Pizza a shout today at either location, Spruceland or Brookwood, for any of your snacking needs. Some ideas spread slowly. That doesn't make them bad ideas. We are infatuated with ideas that spread effortlessly, that go viral in minutes. But that's not the way a slow solution spreads. What we are advocating on this program, week after week, is like that. It's a slow solution. Dr. Michael Ziegler shares God's slow solution to setting a broken world right this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sunday mornings at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We're still on the uh, Canada Child Benefit or Tax Credit. And James is going to give us uh, his view on some of this and how it works. Go ahead, James. Yeah, so it's a, it's a complicated uh, set of policies we've had over the last decades, as Sheldon went over. 
Um, so I think one of the, the criticisms of, of the current policy that I heard from Sheldon is, is that as you uh, earn more money, you lose more of this tax credit. And whereas under Stephen Harper, you get the whole thing, no matter how much money you earned. Uh, you know, that this is uh, in economics theory, this is kind of called the welfare trap, where people have an incentive to stay on welfare, uh, because as soon as they start making money uh, at a job, they're going to lose their welfare and then get taxed on their income. And, and they might actually end up being worse off working than they were under welfare. And I think this is a legitimate criticism of any kind of means testing in your uh, income redistribution set of policies, which is what our income tax system is, right? I mean, uh, just at the break there, I mentioned to Sheldon that the whole income tax system is a disincentive to work. So, I mean, you can't really criticize this this uh, tax policy for kids on that same basis without going after the whole the whole system. I mean, as soon as you earn a certain amount of income, your tax rate goes up. And anybody who is thinking about this stuff is self-employed or, you know, t- thinking about taking on a new contract, that's something that everybody's going to think about. Uh, so I don't know if that's really a legitimate basis to go after uh, the the, tax, the child uh, tax credit. I think it uh, it made no sense that you know families with uh, earning millions of dollars in, of income would get the same tax credit as somebody uh, living under poverty. It just makes no sense to me. Uh, I think if we do have issues with the welfare trap, I think there's uh, legitimate discussions there about uh, what what the cutoff point is. Um, maybe we have more kind of tax brackets uh, so that you don't get hit with a sudden kind of 10% increase in your tax rate when you earn $100 more a year, uh, things like that. But it's a, it's a complicated issue, and I, I think uh, the existing one under Trudeau, I, I, I think it's probably done a good thing. The, the childhood uh, poverty rate's gone down, and uh, it seems more fair to me. That's my two cents. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is this is a federal program <clears throat> federal money and any anybody uh, that's receiving provincial money as welfare and or other programs continue to get it. Uh, the federal government says you cannot discontinue any other provincial programs because of this funding or we'll do something about it to make sure that you can't do it. So you can be on welfare, you can get uh, other uh, provincial government programs plus you get this child tax credit. So if you were already at getting on welfare, as an example, 800 or $1,500 a month, you continue to get that. Then you get the child tax credit on top of it. Then you get a few other things. You're allowed to work, I think, or earn $1,800 a month or something. So single mother with a stay-home dad or something working a couple of days a week can make another 20000 I think I worked it out roughly. You could make, with three kids, you probably make sixty, seventy thousand 70000 a year could be done and uh, that's quite a bit more than the 34,000 a year or something that people going to work every day make so there are some problems with this type of deal now one comment I heard was an individual and they were doing quite well but they're still getting some money I mean it's only being reduced by the more you earn and it goes up and I haven't had a chance to, to work it out but anyway he made the comment that he really doesn't need this money because he's working in that so he's going to put it in the bank for his children's university, to go to university. So if you single that in isolation, now we're paying to send some guy that's got more money than I do, paying to send his kid to university. Now, how can that make any sense on any level? So it's again, it's the government pushing programs out, buying votes any way they can, not going into detail or drilling down, 
and doing the, you know, the thing that they should be doing. And it's the broad brush approach. We'll give it to everybody and we'll tax it back from these guys and yada, yada, yada. Like Sheldon just mentioned here, a flat tax might solve all those problems. Well, the flat tax has some benefits and disadvantages as well. Uh, the benefit of, of well, what taxation is used for is to drive social policy and to change behavior. And James has clearly alluded to some of that already. And governments are very much using tax policy to drive a social agenda. Now, if you were to remove those social agendas and you just needed, say, like if you were to get rid of income tax anyway, as, as it was promised back in 1917, that it would just be a, a short-term thing to pay for the war, which we found out was you know, one of the great lies of the 20th century. If you were to il- eliminate income tax completely and just go with consumption-style tax, what you find there is that more, people who have more money, who are spending their money, are paying more into their their economy. However, that has a disproportionate effect on lower-income people who are not able to spend much on consumption. Now, a flat tax, on the other hand, without any ability to get any tax credits or tax refunds or anything that you pay without any sort of forgiveness or anything, you set a tax rate and everybody pays it, would be probably something that would bring in a fair bit of money, but it wouldn't drive a social agenda. You wouldn't be have, you would be not able to do the things that you want to do in changing society so much by manipulating the tax code. So there's a lot to consider when you look at tax policy and how it would actually work. Good, John. You got something to say on that? Yeah. Uh, I get where you're going with that, Sheldon. The only problem is with that, you still have individuals who just plain don't work, period. Yes. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, well, you know, if I don't work, I don't make anything that you know about, and therefore I don't have to pay the tax. So the, That's the a legit whole, concern. Yeah, the whole tax system needs to be revitalized, but who do we want to have look at diving into our tax system with a, with an optics on fairness across the scale, right? Uh, as as Eric mentioned, uh, the gentleman that turned around and squirreled the money away to put his kids into university, well, then we completely forget about the fact that there's the educational tax credit. So he runs over, out, opens up a bank account, the government, uh, everything he puts in, they... they they basically go half as well. So <laughs> yeah. it's a win-win if you play the game right. But you've got to know how to play the game, right? And that means education. Yeah, we're going to go for a break. We're going to go for a breakdown, and uh, uh, we'll go a little bit more on the child tax credit. If you're interested in Lionel Cut printmaking, the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library is offering a workshop in the process. The workshop is being held on consecutive Thursdays, August 17th and 24th, and people should plan to attend both weeks. It's a free drop-in event, and you'll get to take home the prints you produce. Spend a couple of evenings learning the fine art of lino cut printmaking and have some fun at the same time. Lino Cut Printmaking Workshop, August 17th and 24th at the Downtown Public Library from 6 to 7.30. 
If you have yarn hanging around your house that looks great but you'll never use, swap it for yarn you can use. Drop by the Yarn Swap and Knitting Social at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library Saturday and see what you can find. Bring your favorite knitting project and visit with other crafters at the Cozy Social. In partnership with the Great Northwest Fiber Fest, the Yarn Swap and Knitting Social, Saturday from 10 to 4 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. The City of Prince George will close a section of University Way from August 8th to September 1st for the Shane Creek Bridge Deck Resurfacing Project. The road will be closed between Foothills Boulevard and the entrance to UNBC. The walking trail that runs under the bridge may also be closed intermittently. Transit service for Route 15 will also be affected, with details available through bctransit.com. That's University Way closed between August 2nd and September 1st for the Shane Creek Bridge Resurfacing Project forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with local smoke and a 70% chance of showers. A risk of thunderstorms and hail this afternoon with wind becoming south 20k, a high of 22. Tonight cloudy with a 70% chance of showers. A south winds becoming light near midnight and a low of 10. For Tuesday cloudy with a 30% chance of showers. Wind becoming southwest 20 gusting to 50 late in the morning and a high of 15. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We're going to do a little more on the child tax credit, and then we're going to change subjects. Uh, One thought that crossed my mind is that people in the higher brackets are getting less of this tax. But also, you know, when you get up to even the people in lower uh, brackets but retired, like seniors and that, and basically have bought most of what they need, don't spend money the way that young people do. And the other thought is that if the government gave business all the hundreds of millions and millions of dollars that they're given in the child tax credit, we'd be kayaking it. You know, you can't be subsidizing business like that. So they give it to low-income people who have to spend it. They go to the businesses and spend it. And you can see it once a month. You know what the child tax credit is, and that money's being spent, but not by seniors and not by people who are working. And uh, these are just low-income people buying into stores. That keeps so it's a it's a convoluted way of getting money to business is what it really is, as and the business is being subsidized, and they're doing it through the child tax credit, making it look like they're looking after the poor, but they're actually looking after the rich. Just my take on it. We'll go to James now and get his version. I, I agree there, uh, Eric, and and I think uh, one one of the big trends that's happened over the last fifty years is the reduction of the corporate tax rate. So after the Second World War, you know, corporate tax rates were way higher than they are today. And if you were a wealthy individual in society, there was no real way to get around uh, the tax rate that that was meant to kind of level the playing field and 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 make sure that we didn't have these huge disparities of wealth that we have today and over the years uh, we lost that and it just has become easier and easier to basically get out of paying those taxes so so a lot of you know wealthier people they run everything through their uh, corporations Um, they pay themselves a small amount from the corporate trust you know they've got all these write-offs there's all sorts of advantages uh, when you're a wealthy individual to get get out of uh, paying taxes and the end result is is we don't have the, the, the goal of the income taxes system to kind of redistribute things isn't really working anymore. So Sh- Sheldon talked about uh, moving to a, you know, having like a flat tax rate or something. I mean, we kind of have, it almost seems like we kind of have that right now. So I, I don't know. I, I don't really, um, 
I don't think the existing tax system is, is working all that well. I think there's too many write-offs. There's too many ways to get around it, and I think that's kind of one of the things that the, the flat tax uh, is supposed to get around. But maybe I don't have a point here. I'm just blabbering on about nothing. Yeah. Uh, as a remote possibility. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe yeah, maybe the, the land tax is, is a solution where, where all the taxation for society is funded by land value. And that's an old idea from the 1800s that kind of – Probably still makes a lot of sense, but yeah, it's it's a tricky okay, one. The, the rich always seem to win. I guess maybe that's the point. We're going to go and change the subject now, and, but we'll stay with James on this one because this is the uh, local invent inventor sees wind turbine as a practical power solution. I don't know if uh, James read that. I said in the article, but oh, I did. Yeah, did you? I read so, it. Yeah, yeah, good. So uh, maybe you you know what I'm a little surprised at here is that, I mean this is a great invention and when I'm going up the hard highway uh, just halfway up the hill or you could on your left hand side I see this thing up there going around and around and around and I knew it was a generating electricity it was a turbine I didn't know what it was doing there but it looks like this is the guy that was doing it and, uh, and it's been there for a year or two you know so the, what I'm having a problem with is it's, he, he doesn't seem to want to patent it he doesn't want to make it and manufacture it himself, and he just wants to sell it and get out of the game. What's your thought on that? I mean, if that's everything here is above board and, and good to go, shouldn't we be trying to get onto that and, and maybe build those things locally and start some local business? Or yes, should we just sit back and watch where it where it goes. So, in in case uh, you don't have the paper in front of you, there, folks listening to the show, this is a vertical. Uh, windmills and and what this is it's like a shaft uh, that's that's vertical like most windmills the shaft is horizontal and you've got the blades uh, rotating like an airplane this uh, this looks more like a, kind of a, a sailboat like a mast with uh, with some sails on it and it's um, spinning around uh, horizontally kind of I don't know what, how would you describe that thing there shell horizontally or vertically well um, well, it's Vertic- sorry, I, I guess it depends on how you're holding your picture, right? <laughs> and 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 what he's claiming here is that this is kind of like something that nobody's really uh, pursuing uh, as a device to generate power from wind. Apparently, it doesn't uh, kill birds or uh, bats, which which I think is a great thing. And the the way this thing works, I guess one side of the blade is convex and the other side is flat. So uh, if you didn't have that, I guess the wind would basically counteract itself and it wouldn't spin around whatsoever. But yeah, he's he's created this thing. He, he claims it produces quite a bit of power, and uh, but he doesn't really want to monetize this or create a business out of it. He wants to sell the prototypes and let someone else uh, build it. I think so, that's a big risk for anyone who's come up with an invention to not patent it and not lock down the idea if it's an original idea. Well, because well, who, somebody will. <laughs> no, actually, I've, I've looked into the patent laws. If you If you bring to the marketplace or if you publicize an invention... Uh, and put it out there in the public sphere as your invention, nobody else can pull a patent on you. Only uh, Once you put something out like that, you have the right to patent that, um, and nobody else does. Okay. Right? Well, so that's, that's interesting because there is, there is the concept of industrial design, which we've started to trend towards. We're getting away from the patents per se. Uh, patents are very restrictive on a design and function and operation, method of operation, whereas an industrial design is a broader scope. 
So you invent something, a widget, and that widget does a specific task. I see it and go, ah, okay, yeah, but if I do this and this to the widget, I can get it to do these things. So I run out and I register a industrial design. And I say, well, I'm going to do this and this, but you only have a patent. See, that doesn't stop me from turning around and marketing off of your idea and you getting nothing back from it, uh, the modifications that I've come up with. Whereas you are smarter than me, you turned around and you came up with your widget, and then you registered an industrial design protecting all variations of that product for that purpose. So it's, it's broader. So it's protection because so many people were getting, getting hosed by this patent thing by who got their paperwork in first, right? It's the same thing with radio. Uh, who registered the, the patent for, well, Marconi, but it ended up getting handed back to Tesla because Tesla came up with the concept of radiating magnetic fields. So therefore, he was actually the father of radio as opposed to Marconi. So an industrial design would have covered that. Uh, maybe the law is different in the States. I did look into it because I, I figured I had an invention at one point and, and talked to some lawyers about something. And uh, once you publicize something that you've created, nobody can really pull that out from under you. Mm-hmm. But as long as that's – if you don't publicize it, you keep it private, and somebody else finds out about it, and they bring it to market, and they patent it, then you're hooped. Yeah, well, you, 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 you lose that idea. But, uh, but I mean, as, as far as this guy's concerned, this is out there in a the public sphere. And if he's saying anybody can build it uh, – go ahead he's not going to lose the the right to produce it himself at any point but um and it's been published in the local paper that's discussed right. on the radio yeah. i mean it's, a, it's a <laughs> readily accessible where people can see it unlike some certain government uh, things we were talking about earlier and it uh, it looks like something that might be an, an interesting idea if especially if you want to be off grid which is a whole yeah. other discussion and concept yeah okay we're going to go for a break here and then we'll finish this one off and That's the way she goes. The French George RCMP and Fire Rescue Services have an upcoming summer car seat clinic. Wednesday from 10 to 2, parents and caregivers in Prince George can have their child's car seat safety checked by Child Passenger Safety Educator. The service is available by appointment only. Call the RCMP Community Policing Office at 250-561-3366 Monday through Friday between 9 and 5 to reserve a time slot. Please know the make and model of the car seat when you register. If you're between the ages of 8 and 18 and love video games, set aside an hour a week to drop by the public library. Wednesdays at the Chaco branch and Thursdays at the downtown branch from 145 to 245 is the gaming hour. There will be a variety of video games to play and it's a chance to meet old friends and make new ones while having some video fun. The Gaming Hour, 145 to 245, Wednesdays at the Nachaco Branch, and Thursdays at the Downtown Branch of the Prince George Public Library. New to the book nook at Studio 2880, Milo Finds a Friend, a touching tale of acceptance and the power of friendship. Your child will love reading about these adorable characters while learning valuable life lessons. Geared to children 8 and under, Milo Finds a Friend is an inspiring read which will teach your child kindness and the value of an apology. It's a must-read for kids. Pick up your copy of Milo Finds a Friend today at the Studio 2880 Artisan Gift Shop, 2880 15th Avenue. If you believe someone you know might be a victim of elder abuse, turn your concerns over to the professionals and let them investigate. Do not confront the abuser yourself. Let the professionals determine if abuse is occurring. The Prince George Council of Seniors has a list of numbers you can call and websites you can visit for more information. 
Pick up the list at the Seniors Resource Center at 1330 5th Avenue or call 250-564-9100. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, I think we've covered off on this. It's uh, it's a 21st century uh, windmill, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> not, not that much new to the actual job of what it's doing, whether it's pumping or whether it's grinding or whether it's making electricity. But certainly this is a good type of situation for, like uh, Sheldon mentioned, for, and it's in the article also for uh, off-the-grid and you can take it and take it out in the bush and haul it behind your pickup truck and set it up, and you're good to go. And it's 4,000 to 8,000 kilowatts or something you can generate more, depending on the design. So who knows? Maybe it'll go. But if they are going to go and build it, we should do it here. That was my point, rather than have it done somewhere else, along with a lot of other things. Because this is what we talk about all the time. How come we can't create jobs in Prince George? Then we get an opportunity like this. And if we don't do something, it's going to go somewhere else. So this is where James comes in. He's got a hammer and nails, and he's got a little shed there. He can start building these things and uh, selling them. <laughs> right, James? Uh, yeah, you can uh, probably use them to operate a sprayer or something. As long as, long as we make it out of Aspen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh. so we're going to just, uh, we've got another eight or so minutes here. There's a... Uh, an article in The Citizen about government fees inflate risk uncertainty for B.C. builders. And what they're getting into here is, is your uh, cost recovery charges. Uh, if you go to build apartment complex or something, uh, these municipal governments and that are asking for you to build so much uh, uh, low-income housing into your project. And so this is not really covered by uh, each municipality kind of does, does it a little different. So something like 32% of the cost of a home or the rent of an apartment is going to these uh, different charges that these contractors have to pay to build extra buildings in the municipality. And, of course, at the end of the day, as far as I can see anyway, we end up paying for it when you go and purchase a house or you buy the, or you rent the apartment. We really so. should have the your son Stephen on here to talk about that. I'm yeah, sure it would drive him crazy. Good points yeah. <laughs> on that. Yeah. So <laughs> the, I don't know. I, that's something maybe you see. It says here the uh, total cost of government fees represent 32.72% of rent that end user pays in a typical wood frame purpose-built rental development. So, so even though the idea is to build more homes for low-income people, it also increases the cost of that home because, of course, the contractor has to build it and the rest of it. So I don't know if it's like the old thing of the dog chasing his tail, but really he doesn't know what he's going to do if he catches it. And uh, I think that's where we're at with this housing thing. Well, well, the, uh, the well, what are these uh, fees uh, paying for? I think that's the important question. And, and I think obviously there's... You know, when you're when you're developing kind of exurban development way out uh, outside of the city core, and you got to expand a whole bunch of sewer infrastructure there and water infrastructure, and you know who's going to pay for that? And I, I think those fees are designed to recover some of those costs, so the the average taxpayer isn't on a hook for that. There, there's development that can cost the taxpayer a lot of money, and there's development that can basically save the taxpayer money. 
And I think those kinds of considerations need to come into play when we calculate these costs. And maybe maybe that's like the, the brunt of the criticism for that policy, I'd, I'd say. But, you know, when you look at the city building roads, uh, you know, up on University Boulevard uh, through private land, I'm not sure that that's even getting covered by some of these DCCs, these development cost charges, uh, whereas they, they probably should be. Uh, that's my thought. Well, but what I'm saying is a lot of it's not covered by municipalities. They have different uh, programs that they use in different towns. You know, and we've had it here. We had uh, down on uh, on uh, North Nechaco there where the, the uh, contractor that was building houses made a few mistakes and kind of was a little embarrassed about it, knocked down trees he shouldn't have. But he said to the city, well, we'll give you some property here for a park. And a comment from the city manager or something at the time is, we don't need any more parks here. We've got all the park uh, space we need. And uh, then later on in, uh, in the Fraser River Benchlands, when they were putting in a two or three or 400 uh, unit deal down there, are talking about it, and the contractor said to the city, well, all this property that we have along the river, we could give it to you for parkland. And the same guy said, well, that's, yeah, yeah, we could really use that parkland. You see, so they have this flexibility to do whatever they want. But I would suggest that the parkland along the river, the Fraser River, that now becomes a responsibility of the city, and you didn't have that hanging over your head on North Nechaco. So I just think the whole thing has to be looked at, and we have to start over again. Well, it's about liability to some extent. Who's who's responsible when you start making these these things? And when we're looking at these sorts of developments, it's I think James' point is a valid one. Who pays? And is, should it be the user, the end user who pays? Should it be the people along the line? Because that cost is ultimately borne by the last person holding the bag. Yeah. Well, you know, but there's other things going on. You know, we we refuse to recognize, and I, maybe work out some kind of a skit out of this sometime, but I have this vision of 5,000 people in uh, Prince George or something, and they're all sitting on their couch and they're watching a football game or the hockey game or something, and eating a hamburger and drinking a beer. And they did that for 25 or 30 years, and basically without not too much change except to go to work and come home. And their house increased in value by $300,000. And they did nothing. They just sat there drank beer and ate a hamburger, and they, now they got a value, uh, increased value in their house of $300,000. Well, it's not necessarily increased value. What you see is the devaluing of the, the money or the currency supply associated with that, too. Because, I mean, when we got rid of the penny, and this was a conservative thing, which I wasn't really very enamored with, it, what it represented was a devaluation of our currency. Because when your money becomes worth less and less, you're going to see costs appear to go higher. And when when they went away from something that supported the value of money, like the gold standard, which was at, at reduced in the 30s and then again in the 1970s, and the Americans went off it finally, what you see is there's nothing behind the currency. And you, they can, they, you, get, you get into a risky situation where you can build up accumulated debt, you, start, you see things cost more and more, and then it ultimately becomes very rapid, and then you see an economic collapse. And that's really where we're heading when you see uh, these sorts of this, this value dramatically rise for property and for uh, people's possessions. I think, I think we're in a very dangerous time 
uh, with regards to our national debt. And I talk about national debt a lot, but that's something more of us need to be paying a fair bit of attention to. Yeah, no, and that's the point I was trying to make, that we, we have this increased value, but it's all built on sand in a fast flowing creek, and it's not going to last forever. And so it's like old, uh, forget his name, the guy that owns Burlington Northern, he says, nobody makes money on the stock market unless they sell. You know, you don't make money on the stock market by buying. You have to sell to make money. So that's the end of the show for today, folks. I want to thank our panel for coming in and thank Bill Phillips for getting on the phone and giving us some insight into uh, what's going on with city advertising. And so we'll be back next week, and uh, thank you for listening.